All right. Well, it's nice to see that Kevin Barker is back from Florida. And uh, really nice to see that he's got his shirt on because when he called me about half an hour ago to chat about the show, well, I mean, he he didn't have a shirt on. It was just, it was a little disconcerting. Uh, something that I that I don't really expect to see, um, but it's nice to see that you're 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 clothed now, Barker. I, I mean, I know standards have slipped since since folks have been working at home, but that was a that was a I've never, I, you know, I mean, I I always wore a shirt when I did when I did all my shows from home during the pandemic. Pants, yeah, it was optional, did, but I always wore a shirt. Okay, did you did you? Did you ever get uh, Did you ever get off a plane at at two fifteen, uh, wearing shorts, a, a t shirt, a a very light pullover jacket, not expecting that it would be Antarctic, where you're about to step off of and get your luggage and try and find a taxi? We stood out for I don't know. 32 minutes waiting on a taxi and my son's like daddy can we go buy a ticket back to tampa <laughs> yeah for those of you who don't know kevin kevin and his son arrived they they took the uh what i like to call the disorient express from uh tampa to toronto it's a flight that leaves sunday night at what time was it supposed to leave well it, it left on time yeah well but then we we landed we landed in toronto and we sat on on the runway for uh, 40 minutes? I, how many planes can actually come into Toronto at 12 o'clock at night? Yeah. I, I need you to do some research and find that out for me. The flight is, I've taken it back from spring training, God, six times, the same flight. Uh, it either never gets in in time. It never leaves on time. We had one incident where Barker was sleeping on the floor for two hours at the airport. <laughs> and the flight was delayed by like four and a half hours. And all I remember about it is people were pleading with the dude that ran the Starbucks at the at the lounge to keep it open, and 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 he did. But anyhow, it's good to see that you survived. I knew when you were on that flight, I just knew you weren't you weren't going to be in the studio today. You weren't going to get in in time. I mean, it's just it is what it is. Yeah, I, well, look, it's it's I'm 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 sort of happy to be back. You know, we're getting off to a little bit of a slow start here. I got to be honest with you, I don't like the weather here. Like the weather here is is not great. Uh, just when I was hiding, you know, me, me and my son were were hiding from the sun, watching uh, Bryce okay, Harper go back leg city off of Kikuchi. Uh, did, you know, and we were trying to get out of the sun because it was so hot. Okay, and now stop I, it. I get off the plane and and it's. It was what it was, and, All right. and you know we'll we'll we're we're okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go about our day. We're gonna have fun. You know, my son's happy because he gets to play hooky from school. And there you go. And uh, yeah, ten nine. The uh, Jays lost to the Yankees or beat the Yankees on Saturday. Uh, yesterday, they uh, took on the Phillies, and uh, they seem to have a. a they, there seemed to be a contest to see who could give up the most home runs and breaking pitches amongst <laughs> the pitching staff. Uh, they lost 10-5 to the Phillies. All right, we uh, we have a lot to get to today. John Schneider, the bench coach of the Jays, joins us in a few minutes. Uh, but, Kevin, let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi yesterday. Two and two-thirds, six hits, five earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts, three homers. Yeah, it's spring training, but I saw a lot of 92 yesterday, Kevin. 
Yeah, I did too. I was I had really good seats. I was, you know, right behind home plate there where I could where I could see that and I could see the mile per hour. And every time I saw 92, 93, I was thinking to myself, if you're Ross Atkins, you're sitting there watching the same thing I'm thinking, thinking I didn't give him three year thirty six million dollars to throw ninety two, ninety three miles an hour. I'm with you at spring training, but. If that's not alarming a little bit, like I don't know how you can turn on the switch, especially like Bryce Harper. The home run he gave up uh, to Bryce Harper, he was throwing 92 in that at bat. Like I, I just I, – I don't know if there's a – there has to be a little bit of adrenaline rush there that, you know, you could rear back and, and we could see the 96, 97, 98. Maybe it's just on purpose that this is where he's trying – what he's trying to do. I know I've noticed that he's moved on the rubber. You know, he used to be on the first base side of the rubber. Now he's on the third base side of the rubber. I'm sure that's for tunneling. I'm sure that's to make the cutter look a little bit better. I'm sure that's to open up his target to right-handed hitters. But – for me, he's a velocity guy, and when it's 92-93, I just don't know how, you know, and then I guess he's getting maybe two more starts before the bell really rings. I don't know how you can just, okay, I, now I want to see my, and I can reach back and get my and maintain my 95, 96, 97, 98. Maybe you can, and hopefully we'll see that in this next start. The uh, Jays are taking on the, uh, what's this here? The Jays are taking, I could figure this out myself. The Jays are taking on the uh, Atlanta Braves today. And uh, the Jays lineup Let is beat you. Uh, the Jays lineup is as follows: Biggio, Bichette, Hernandez, who uh, I guess has been handling some sort of hand or wrist injury, but he's now made back-to-back starts. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman, Greg Bird, Espinal, McGuire, Nathan Lucas uh, for the Blue Jays. Let's bring in the Blue Jays bench coach, John Schneider. Bring him into this discussion. John, thanks so much for joining Barker and myself this morning. We uh, appreciate you doing this. I think you know that we understand how valuable your time is. Um, All right. We're a little more than a week away from the start of the regular season. We know that this spring training has been different because of the late start, because of the compressed nature of it due to CBA talks. Where do you think uh, and, and I understand that individual guys have individual programs, but John, in general, where is this team now compared to where it would normally be, you know, uh, a week and two days out from from the start of the regular season? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I think they're pretty close. You know, I think that our entire staff has done a really good job of keeping in touch with those guys when the lockout was, uh, or not when the lockout was happening, but right after it was happening when it was over and kind of seeing where they were at uh, physically and, and reps and all that kind of stuff. And I think if you ask any player, Kev, you kind of know the drill where they think spring training is too long anyway. Um, so it's just a matter of getting them in the uh, in the proper number of games and innings under their belt. Um, but so far, so good. Everyone's been right on schedule and uh, kind of chomping at the bit and getting ready to go. Snyder, how, how's your job changed this year? I know you're officially the bench coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. Has, has it changed? I, you know, I know I was down there and I saw you. You, you know, you look the same. You, you look sleeker. You look like you've, you know, you've gotten in the weight room and, and, you know, running some laps around the outfield, which is, you know, great to see. But how has it changed? Has it changed? You know, are you, you know, I can still see you're, you're right there with the players. You're doing exactly what you were doing the last couple of years. Has it changed for you? I mean, not so much. I think the biggest thing is just, you know, in the off season, kind of getting things uh, ready and, um, you know, talking to the front office a little bit more in the off season. But I think the day in day out is going to be very similar to what it was last year and getting lineups prepared and, uh, 
talking in-game strategy with Charlie and with Pete. Um, of course, in, in touch with the front office as well and getting their input on some things. But it'll be largely the same. Um, we've tweaked a couple of our processes in terms of how we're going to prep for opponents and um, kind of things like that. But nothing really uh, drastically different than what it was last year. How about for guys fighting for jobs, you short in spring training? How much harder is this for an organization, for a coaching staff? Like, say, second base, Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio, fighting for playing time, fighting for that to be that guy. How hard is it for you guys as a coaching staff to make decisions, or is it basically left up to the player? That's the way you're going to determine who plays more. Well, I think we kind of we were our job is initially just to get them in the spots where they're physically ready, and then let their performance kind of do the talking. Um, the the biggest challenge is you know you look at like Cav, who was coming off a little bit of an elbow issue in the off season, and he's over that now, and um, just trying to get them in as much as we can without overworking them. It's a fine line between overworking them and then getting them ready for the year. Um, so it's just when they're out there, you know, they know that you know that bats matter and reps matter. Um, and the biggest thing is for guys that are, you know, the kind of the non-roster guys who are playing a lot, just trying to take care of them a little bit physically, but at the same time giving them every opportunity to show what they got too. So it's, uh, you know, constant communication with the player and see where they're at and communication with our HP staff and uh, kind of just making the best decision to, to put them in the position to succeed. That's basically yeah. um, the goal of it. And I think once the, the last end, the last week of camp when we're coming up to it here, You'll see it a lot of regulars going back to back to games and, and playing quite a bit. Yeah, you know Kevin better than most people. Uh, h- how will this help him offensively just to hone in on one position and not trying to play third and, and you know, a little bit of outfield, which he might play a little bit of outfield. But, you know, he's more of a second yeah. baseman now. Going into this thing, he can solely think on something that he's confident with, which will help him work a little bit more on his offense. Have you seen that from him here in this little short spring training? Yeah, I think so. I think whenever a player's comfortable with what he's doing, you get the best version of them. Um, and bouncing around to third base last year, I think that, you know, we all internally and him included thought it was going to be no problem. And I think if you ask him now today, it was, a, you know, a challenge for him and just a different routine and, and um, you know, maybe a little bit more work than what he's used to defensively. And, of course, that probably takes away from, from some of the offensive um, stuff that he's doing too. So, I think you'll see him at second. You'll see him, um, you know, a little bit in the outfield, like you mentioned. But knowing that he's going to be one of two places is, is only going to help him. And, um, you know, putting a player in his natural position as much as you can, uh, like I said, I think you're going to get a really good version of Cav this year. Now, John, as, as the bench coach of this team and as somebody who has worked with a lot of the young players coming up as a manager and as a coach as well, and especially on their defense, I'm wondering when you add a a guy like Matt Chapman to the mix, and let's face it, Matt Chapman can be a game changer defensively. Does that is he so good that you have to do things that that other players have to do things differently around him defensively? In other words, are guys having to learn different shifts this year, or just how, how is that process? Are, are you going about getting everybody on the same page with Matt? That's an awesome question, Jeff. Um, he is that good. You know, I think that our job as coaches, like I said, is to kind of put players in spots where they're going to have success, and that definitely um, holds true with just some simple positioning. Um, with him and his range at third, him and Bo are working every day, um, you know, before games and figuring out how far Matt's going to go to his left, how far Bo needs to go to his right. 
um, that may lead to some different positioning for Bo. And, um, you know, I think it's just an awesome, awesome addition to our not only defense, but just our lineup, too. I think he's finally healthy. You know, the last couple of years was a grind for him physically. He's strong. He's in shape, you know, looking at him. Um, so we're looking forward to him on both sides of the ball. But, man, he is a definite difference maker, I think, and, and just brings a different just brings a different look. And that's not to take away from Santi or Cav or anyone else that played there last year. But when you have arguably the best defender in that, in that spot in, in the game, it just makes everyone around him better. Yeah, with the with the expanded playoffs this year, or for at least the first month, going to twenty eight guys, you would think you guys are probably going to take three catches. I don't want to put you on the spot and and ask you about rosters because that's not fair. But I do want to ask you about uh, when you have three guys that you have confidence in, and then you have some new pitchers coming in, like a Gosman, like a Kikuchi, uh, guys that are you know are, are a little bit different that may like throw in two other guys as a ex catcher, as a guy that looks you know at that specifically and really hones in on that. It, what's the challenges with that? How do, how do you go about? Uh, you know, giving that guy and uh, that pitcher an option of saying, "Okay, I'm going. We'll, we'll let you have this catcher today. We'll let you have this catcher the next time you throw. You can tell us which one you like." Is that sort of the way the process works? Uh, a little bit, and there's there's so many more numbers that go into it. And each one of our guys behind the plate has certain areas of real strengths when, in terms of receiving, and areas that they can get better at. And, you know, we have the luxury of having a ton of numbers and a ton of info. Uh, to where we can kind of match up the guy on the mound with the guy behind the plate and really try to create the best version of the guy on the mound based on what the guy can do behind the plate to help him out. So if it's a, uh, you know, if it's Gosman and or Kikuchi and we know that they're going to attack a certain area of the zone, um, it gives us the option to kind of match up with one of the guys behind the plate, you know, where his strengths are in the zone receiving and, can he steal a handful of pitches for that guy's outing? And then from there, you kind of match up with that, uh, the opposing night starter, and then you say, okay, what's our best option offensively? Mix it with our best option defensively, and kind of go from there. Um, it is kind of weird to have three guys that we're comfortable with and three guys that can do um, very specific things well on their own, you know, with their own game. So it's a pretty cool option and pretty cool luxury to have for myself and for Charlie when we're making our lineups. John Schneider joins us on Blair and Barker. Uh, what? How do you how do you go about the process of filling in the final spots on the roster? And and what I mean by that is, is there is there a worry that you know you judge a guy too quickly? Um, do, do you guys have I don't know? Is there meetings every day where you you go over the bottom end of the roster and or, you know you Charlie and the staff and and say okay who's who's our final four here or who's our final four there? How, how do you go about determining that? There's meetings, yeah. There's a ton of meetings. There's obviously you know a couple spots or certain things that may not be totally set in stone where these guys know that they're fighting for for playing time. Um, you kind of have a, I don't know if it's every day, but every couple of days you kind of have a check-in with who's doing what and how they're doing. And then with keeping in mind, you know, the way that the rest of our roster is built, how does each guy, you know, fit um, in terms of handedness, left-handed, right-handed, uh, all that kind of stuff, defensive versatility. I think we've done a good job of bringing in some really good uh, options externally from a non-roster standpoint. 
and um, you kind of just let them dictate what what their uh, what their playing time is going to be, really. You know, and they I think they understand that their window may be a little bit smaller in terms of performance. You know, you hate doing that. You know, early in spring and early in camp and that kind of stuff. But um, the guys that are going to be in there every day kind of have that luxury of feeling their way through it where the guys that are battling got to go out and perform kind of right from the get-go. But we talk um, quite a bit. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's always a good problem to have when guys are playing well, which a lot of them are right now. Yeah, well, whenever you go out and spend a ton of money on some players and, and you have the lineup that you guys have, there's a, lot, there's a lot of pressure on you coaches to to make the right moves at the right time. And and this sort of leads into my question. You, you've been beside Charlie a lot. Last year, you know, you were standing really close to him. This year, you know, you're going to be right next to him. How have you seen him change? Has he changed? Has he grown in the last couple of years that you've seen? Is he, is he well, I guess quite frankly, is a different manager this year early on than you saw last year yeah i think so i think with anything the more you do it the more comfortable you get with it and i think the more um familiar every starting lineup is going to be each night the the less it is on your plate the less decisions you kind of have to make the biggest thing is i think what what he does an awesome job with is taking all the information that we give him and making the best decision for the player and for the team in the moment. Um, one of our big goals this year is to kind of hopefully have those decisions not scripted or made before a game. You know, you can't lose sight of, you know, your baseball wisdom and your eye, what your eyes are telling you. But he's done an awesome job of really taking all the info. And I think what you'll see is just, you know, a more um, – not convicted, but I just think, you know, if we're going to bunt in a certain situation, we're going to bunt. If we're not going to bunt, we're not going to bunt and have those decisions made uh, based off a lot of information before the game. And then if you need to kind of change course and pivot to something different during the game, you know, you talk about it and you say, why did we do this? Why did we do that? And did it work? And did it not work? But I think he's kind of hit the point where if you look when we all came in in 2019 and kind of rebuilding and the shortened season in 2020 and then last year, you know, towards the end of the year, what we did uh, in terms of winning a lot of games late. Um, I think that he's just much more comfortable with what we have, more comfortable with how he wants to deploy those guys and how he's going to ask certain guys to do certain things. But, yeah, man, he's he's definitely, I think, a little bit more confident. And, um, you know, I know that it's, it's been a really – it's been a good feel between us as a staff um, and him this spring so far. I think the players see that too. Last question for me, John. Rymel Tapia arrived, played this weekend. How many extra options do you have now with a guy like that on your roster? He's awesome because it's just a different skill set than what we already have in the outfield. When you look at George and Gurry and Teo being right-handed and kind of power hitter guys, and you know, um, throwing in Tapia with a different you know speed skill set and you know, a guy that can play either one of the corners and even center field. It's just a different dynamic to the lineup, and it kind of breaks up the the power-hitting right-hander that we have, you know, up and down our lineup. So he's um, a definite, definite um, important piece. And I think that, you know, when you put him in the right spot, like we're shooting for, you really, you know, like I've been saying the whole time, you get the best version of that guy. And if he's in spots where he can really do some damage and, and uh, create some havoc on the bases, it's going to be a, an added uh, dynamic and a different dimension for our team. John, thanks for your time as always. We appreciate this. We look forward to seeing you in Toronto in, uh, what, nine days around there? It'll yeah. be fun. You're yeah. the best, buddy. Yeah, no, no, no.
No problem. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me and looking forward to seeing you. Absolutely. That's John Schneider, the Blue Jays bench coach. And the Jays, of course, as Kevin mentioned, changed a whole bunch of uh, things around with the coaching staff. Uh, just mainly assignments and, uh, and, and and designations. They've added a few more members uh, of the staff. But it's uh, it, it really is a cooperative effort. That was an interesting answer, I thought, from John Schneider uh, about Charlie Montoyo, Kevin, and... and reading into it, maybe getting the sense that um, that we could expect Charlie to be a little more off the cuff is a bad word because that suggests that it's, it's something that wasn't planned. But, but maybe a, a little less beholden to preconceived notions when it comes to what is happening in the game. And, and I think it's, you know, look, I, I think sometimes we overlook the fact that you know, we look at Charlie and all those games he's managed in the minors and, and sort of the, just that, that, that vast experience he has, but you, you do have to, you do have to know your guys. And I think by now there's enough of a body of internal information for Charlie that, that we may see some things done differently. I mean, the bottom line is with the manager, it's just, it's, it's how you run your bullpen. That everything else takes care of itself. It, the, the decisions you make in game, Kevin, and I think we're on the same page here. The decisions you make in-game that really have an impact are your bullpen decisions. Yeah, I think so, too. Look, when I was down there, he, he when I had conversations with him and when he was walking around, he looked confident. That, that's the one word that I can, can throw at Charlie Montoya right now is he's confident in himself and what he thinks of his team, and he knows his team better. You mentioned the bullpen. He, he knows now what guy would fit into what slot, what situation, because he's seen him there before. Yemi Garcia is the only really guy that, 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 he has, that he doesn't really know. Maybe David Phelps when he gets back, mm-hmm. right, what, what the flow is, you know, what the stuff looks like. When I saw David Phelps, I thought stuff looked good. i got to be honest with you. I thought his finish was there, and when his finish was there, is there with the injury that he had. All the location, the velocity, all that stuff's going to come back. But I just think Charlie's more confident. And and for me, anyway, from what I saw, I think players have confidence in him. I think when he speaks, players stop talking, stop having conversations. They look at him, they listen, and they respect what he has to say. And and for me, as many I, Jeff, I had, I can't tell you how many managers I had. And for me, it was all about respect. When they were speaking, if you respect them, if players respect them, they stopped what they were doing. And they listen. I can be honest with you. I've had a bunch that I didn't. Every time he came in a room, I'd turn around, walk off, I'd roll my eyes because what they were saying just didn't make any sense. But it seemed to me like Charlie has, you know, I would say probably not everybody's back because that's not the way the world works. There's going to be players on that team that doesn't like him. But for the most part, when I was walking around there, I could tell that the conversations and the way he spoke and the way he was talking and, and the way he was walking around just seemed like he was a little bit different, like he was more comfortable himself. Uh, we're going to get Kevin's, in, in the second second part of the, of the show, we're going to get Kevin's thoughts on some of the things he saw after two weeks in spring training. We'll talk about Vladdy in particular and a few other few other things that he saw that really impressed him really impressed him but Kevin I, I want to touch base on Rymel Tapia for a minute 0 for 2 with the strikeout uh, on Sunday his Blue Jays debut you heard John Schneider talk about he he's clearly more comfortable playing corner outfield positions uh, he's only played what I think I'm reading he's played less than 190 innings in center field although he did play a lot of 37 center- 
37 games in center, 37 games in right, 266 and in, left, I believe. Right. Is, yeah. But in the minors, he played, he almost played 400 games in center. So I, I, I will ask you that. Do they have cover right now for George Springer? Should he go down or should he need a day off? Because, yeah, Randall Gritchick was right. Randall Gritchick also played a decent enough center field that you could you could go with Randall for a couple of weeks defensively and you weren't going to lose anything. Okay. Is that an well, issue for these guys? Yeah, if it's if it's just a break, giving George Springer a break, I think they do. Uh, Tapia, uh, you know, it seems like. I, I noticed, The first thing I noticed yesterday, because I was sitting close to the field, uh, he hit the line drive in his first at bat off the left-handed pitcher to left center field's line drive like it was he scorched it yeah. he was rounded first base when the guy called it and i was thinking to myself dang man he's already made it to first on a lane to left center field which would tell you you know he looks like he's got a little flair with the flow and mm-hmm. and as fast as he is so he's going to bring you could see you could just hear it in john snyder's voice that man they just can't wait to have that element of you know, bringing something different. We talk about the Rays all the time. That's what the Rays have. The Rays got a little something for everybody, and that's what you're starting to see. The, you know, Ross and the coaching staff sort of try and mold this team into having a little something for everybody. And, you know, to answer your question, long term, like if, if George Springer's out for a month or a month and a half, I'm not real sure about that. They may have to go out and make a different move. I'm not sure Tapia could play every single day in the American League East, and you're, and you're not going to notice that. But if you give him small sample sizes, like, you know, play him three or four times a week and, and do, let him be himself with the right. flair and the speed and let him run all over the place and, and let him have fun that way, I, I think they'll get the most out of him. But if it's, if he's playing center field every single day for, for a month straight, yeah, I'm not real sure of that. And now, again, I haven't seen him enough to know that exactly. And, and it will help that the American League East doesn't know him like the league that he just left. So he'll get a little lenience there, right? He'll get some room for movement when it comes to how they're trying to get him out. He'll see more fastballs, especially in this lineup. So that'll help him offensively. But defensively, well, just I, I think we'll have to wait and see, and hopefully we don't have to see. Hmm. Hopefully George Springer's playing 155 games, and we don't have to worry about seeing that. So I think you know how much – how – excited we were when we came on when we started the show the, thinking back to conversation we had with with ben wagner in the the early days of spring training when he talked about uh, vladdy jr and um and and just how how he used the word tapered and it's always stuck with me how tapered vladdy vladdy looked. uh it's only spring training again the caveat the caveat of all caveats it's only spring training but i want to talk to kevin barker about vladdy jr because obviously he looks good. He's a great player. We saw what he did yesterday. But there is a real sense I'm getting, Kevin, from stuff I'm reading, from stuff I'm seeing, and just from the stuff you kind of hear in the background. There is a real sense that that Vladdy is... Yeah, Vladdy wants to win an MVP award this year, and Vladdy wants to win the World Series. Like You're, you're starting to get a sense that maybe that whole the whole Shohei Otani thing as good as Otani was, Vladdy kind of took offense to the fact that he didn't get at least, at least one first, first place vote. So we'll get Kevin's take on how good Vladdy looks. Talk to Kevin about early days with Teoscar Hernandez, the pitching staff. And I'll ask Kevin the question I ask everybody in spring training. What did you see? And it doesn't have to be something major, but what did you see that made the biggest impression on you? What was the most impressive sight 
you saw in spring training. We'll talk to Kevin Barker about that next. It's Blair and Barker, the podcast on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker. We'll be on for an hour today. We'll have the fan soccer show from 10 to noon with myself, Vivek Jacob, and Dan Riccio. And then tomorrow we'll go back to our regular time. And then April 4th, we'll uh, be going from 10 to noon Eastern as uh, we get you set for opening day. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been such a, uh, yeah, a buoyant, such a buoyant spring training for the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, I think the uh, I I would look every every market was waiting for the CBA to be negotiated, right? And and for their team to get back on the field and for spring training to start up and for the regular season to get going. Every market in the majors, well, maybe with the exception of Baltimore and Pittsburgh, couldn't wait for that to happen. But uh, Toronto, there was a real sense of anticipation, and of course, the acquisitions of Kevin Gossman, and then you say Kikuchi and Matt Chapman. It just it, it, there's a real sense of dynamism around this organization, a, a, a real sense of you know, the fact the team was going to be playing in front of full crowds at the Rogers Center again, something we haven't seen since before the pandemic. And it's been it, it, it's been kind of one upbeat thing after another, one positive news story after another. And of course, that this weekend that changed uh, to some degree, at least with uh, the news that Pete Walker, the Blue Jays pitching coach, uh, was arrested and charged with driving under the influence early Friday morning uh, in Florida. Now, the team declined to comment in detail on the situation. Pete had a Pete Walker had a, a prepared statement that he read after Saturday's game in Tampa. And Pete Walker, still with the, with the club, as Charlie Montoyo said yesterday, you know, it's under investigation. That's all I know about that. Uh, the Jays, according to Ben Nicholson Smith, um, you know they, they've uh, they're looking into this, figuring out how to proceed internally. Uh, the Jays sent out a statement saying that the Toronto Blue Jays are aware of the recent inc- recent police incident involving Pete Walker. The club is currently gathering more information, and out of respect for the legal process, there will be no further comment at this time. Again, Pete Walker was released on on uh, on, on bond, and in his statement said that he was letting his, uh, you know, his, his lawyers were working through whatever ramifications there are. Now, Kevin, I mean, first and foremost, I want to talk about whether or not this has any, any, any impact on the Jays' plans. But, you know, first and foremost, Pete, Ma- Pete Walker made a bad decision. I think I can say that uh, those of us who know him and to deal with them, we're, we're disappointed by it. Disappointed, to say the least. I, I will say this. The only thing I can say about it is, Kevin, is, as is the case with all DUIs, um, an understanding that, that, you know, it's still, it's still being dealt with. It's still going through the system. But, Kevin, as is the case with every DUI, your concern is always that something really bad could have come about as a result of that. You know, we all know... What happens when you drive under the influence? We've, you know, we've all, I mean, we've all seen the, 
you know, the, the numbers, we've all seen the accident reports. Those of us who've done news reporting back in our early days, we've all gone out to serious investigations, uh, to serious accidents. And as part of our reporting, it's something you, you learn how to do. So you understand that, that from Pete Walker or from Pete Walker, this was a, uh, this was, a, it was a disappointing decision. And as I said, the only good thing is that nobody, you know, nobody was hurt. And yep. that's the first thing I think of when I hear any of these about any of these incidents. My first reaction is one, how can you do that? Take an Uber, whatever. But my second is it could have been much worse. Yeah, that's well said. I, thank God it, 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 you know, it was only him going 82 and a 45, and then he got pulled over. That, that, thank God nothing else major other than that happened. Yeah, when I first heard it, I was shocked. I was disappointed. I know Petey more than most people. You know him better than anybody around, around abso- the team, basically. Absolutely. absolutely. I, was, I was very disappointed in that. I was very shocked. I was, I was actually walking around the aquarium with my son when I, when I got the phone call. I got the text. I got the picture of him uh, with the mug shot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very disappointing. I, 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 you know, I respect what Petey does. I, I look at Petey as one of the best pitching coaches in baseball, and this is a black eye to who he is as a man and as a pitching coach. And he, he's the only one that can come back from this. He, you yeah. know, I, I, I have no idea how this is. The conversations are going between him and the front office and Ross Atkins, and it's up to him to sell, you know, what he's talking about. And he's the one that's going to have to say, basically, I did it once. It'll never, ever happen again. Uh, you Look, there's enough money that goes around. These guys get paid enough money, and I've said it, and I'll continue to say it. You should never have to ever do this. When in doubt, pick up the phone and say, there's numerous Blue Jays that will come and get you, or any you know Uber or whatever the case may be will come and, and keep you out of situations that you shouldn't be in, but... Yeah, it's it's uh you know it it was for me anyway. When I know when I was walking around the aquarium, I was sad. Jeff, I got to be honest with you, I was very sad uh, that 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 had happened. I look up to Petey, and I still do. You know, he made a mistake. Uh, he'll he'll have to be the one that learns from it. Well, he, yeah, he'll he have move to move on from it. He'll have to deal with it. Absolutely, he absolutely. Has to deal he's, with a, it. he's a grown man. He did it. He'll have to suffer the consequences, and he will whatever those are. Uh, let me ask you this, because you have as as a former player. I mean, stuff happens in spring training a lot of the, a lot of the times. Uh, I mean, God, you know, I remember when I covering the Expos and that used to spring training. You always you were always scared that you'd get up in the morning and there'd be some story about somebody having done something. And because and it's Florida, it's warm. You got a lot of free time. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you can do down there. Um, as someone who has been in a clubhouse and been part of a team. Will this have will this have any impact on the preparation for the regular season? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I'm, again, we have no idea if Petey's going to get suspended or we have no idea what the organization's going to do. I'm not even going to speculate on what that might be. I just know the relationship of, a, of the veteran guys, the Barrioses, the Gosmans, the Ryus, uh, you know, the Striplings you could throw in there, the Kikuchis. You could throw those, like, the conversations out of his mouth. You know, he'll have to mend the fences a little bit. He'll, he'll have to say, this is not me, this is not who I am. I made a mistake. I'm going to try and move on. I'm still the same guy I was before this happened and 
That's just the way it is. Again, the, the, he has different relationships with these guys than mm-hmm. he does everybody else on the team mm-hmm. because he's so close to them and because what it comes out of his mouth, that, you know, is a reflection of him and these guys' careers. And it's up to the player and Pete Walker to, you know, get back to those, and I'm sure they will. You know, again, this has nothing to do with what he's doing between the lines. This is a, a dumb thing that he did off the field, and I'm sure that it will work itself out the way it's supposed to work itself out. So, as I mentioned, you just got back from Florida. You were down there for two weeks. I'll ask you a simple question. All the things you saw, all the, all the sights you saw, all the sounds you heard, all the conversations you had, what was the most, the most impressive thing? The thing that, it, when, when I say Kevin Barker, spring training 2022, you're going to go this. Well, there's a fine-tuned machine. I got to be honest with you. I know I, I could I could hone in on a couple of players, and we will talk about those guys. But just sitting sort of in the middle, and you could see on my Instagram where I was sitting, and mm-hmm. everything was happening around me. And it just seemed like it was supposed to be happening. Like it wasn't a rushed. You know, you would think this short and spring training, everything be rushed. Like, you, oh, gosh, you got to go over there. You got to be here. And we got to make sure this guy, because he's our best player, has got to be doing this and this and that and this. And it just seemed like every coach had everything exactly where it was supposed to be. Coaches where, you know, and, and players were in positions and, and, you know, hitters were in batting cages and, and people taking ground balls were on the half field. And it just seemed like everything was in tune and, and they were heading the right direction, getting ready for, for the seasons to start. But And then you look at individual players and the first guy that stands out to me, and, and I know this is an easy one to talk about it, but it's, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like it just – it seems mm. to me like – the things that he needed to work on in the offseason conversation that I'd had with him, the conversations that other people around him had had with him, he was thinking when the season ended that he needed to refine a little bit more of his routine, whatever that was. Now, I don't know what that is because he doesn't want to tell anybody and he shouldn't tell anybody. He should be the only one that knows that, what that is, when he does certain things and how much he does that certain thing. It just seems like the way you saw him walking around – you know, Ben Wagner talked about tapered. <laughs> that's, that's a great way. He, that would tell you that he's honed in on the routine when it comes to his workouts. He's, he's a little bit better at that. He knows what it takes. Now he's refining that a little bit more to make him look tapered. You know, that gets him in better mm-hmm. shape, makes his back quicker, makes him a better defender. He can run the bases a little bit better. We all know those kind of things. It just seems like the way he was walking around, the way he was talking, the way he was acting. I know on my Instagram, and, and I sent this out when Springer and him were talking back and forth, and they were talking. He was basically saying, I want to win the Triple Crown and hit 70 homers. I mean, he's a, he's a baby, Jeff. Like, he's, he's not a grown man yet. Like, he, we want him to be, but age-wise, he's still a kid. And for him to be talking and, and, and just to – it's like no big deal to him. It was like the conversation of, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I have that conversation all the time with my buddies because I know I can do it. That's for me. If if you're the league, that should scare you a little bit more. And you should can tell the on. I always talk about having your on your at bat on the on deck circle. I was watching him yesterday. He's very refined with that. It's like three or four swings. It's like easy swings. It's not over swinging. It's not taking big giant swings with a weighted bat. It's none of that. It's like it's very. You know, he he's really thought it through on on what it's going to take for him to be the ultimate Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I got I will say that ball he hit to right center. I know it was off a lefty, but man, I'd left the stadium, and it mm-hmm. was just it was like 
he it was just like I get it back easy, I get it down easy, I drive down and through it, I got my finish, I hold it, it's gonna go where I want it to go. He's he's some kind of scary. I gotta be honest with you, and it's fun it's a lot, a lot of fun to watch. It's pretty clear, isn't it, that he and and I I like the fact that he said this, but it's pretty clear that he I think he understands that Shohei Otani was going to be the MVP last year. And individual awards are individual awards. But I, I, you're starting to hear, you're starting to hear a little more of his expectations for himself come out in a lot of the discussions. And and I like the fact that he said, yeah, yeah, he's kind of upset that he didn't get at least one first place vote. I mean, it was, I think it was a unanimous first and second place, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it, it, in, in that vote. But I was surprised he didn't get at least one or two first place votes. I really was. I understand what Shohani, uh, Shohei Otani did was. I understand he's a unicorn, yada yada, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I get all that, but uh, he did it in a team that wasn't anything. It was never really a part of anything significant. And I think for Vladdy to do what he's done, what he did at his age, probably deserved uh, at least one or two MVP votes. Not that it's going to make any difference, but I. I, I found that really interesting. I, I really like it when young young players, not when they brag, and I don't even like the, the word swag or swagger. I don't really care about that. But I like when there's a sense of, a real sense of self-confidence about them. And that's what I really get from Vladdy this year. Yeah, v- Vladdy for me anyway, when I was down there, was not afraid to talk about it. he wants to be the man. And that, yes, that, that, he wants ta- to be the ta- he wants to be the big dog in this team. He's, he not, does. he's not telling anybody anything other than I am the man. And yeah. you, when I walk to the plate, when I'm on the field, every all eyes are going to be on me. And and he sort of takes that burden. It is a little bit of a burden. He's a young guy, right? And this this organization, they expect a lot. Fans expect a lot. He's in a country. You know, it's mm-hmm. one team. Everybody expects a lot from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you know, just I I I, I can only remember the 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 video that Hazel May took of him walking, I think it was two years ago, walking out of the clubhouse, and I hate to use the word fat, but he was as about as that word as you could get when it comes to an athlete, you know, a, a guy that everybody expects the things that, that we expect from him to not look like. Mm-hmm. And he looked like that, and I think he really took that to heart, and he understood that, you know, things have to change if I want to be the person and, and – you know, and and the the hitter and the player and all the things that I want to be for this organization, for this country, and he took it to heart. And now look at him. What con- what concerned you? We've talked about Kikuchi. We've talked about Ryu. It's to to sit here and say that to sit here and say that that there isn't some ah, concern is concern sounds like such a strong word that there isn't at least some sort of uncertainty about what you're going to get from them for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're safe in saying that there is at least a, a, little bit of un, a little bit of uncertainty there. But leaving that aside, did you see something that when you take a step back, you go, yeah, I'm just not sure that's, I, I'm just not sure that's good enough to go to the World Series this year. Like, I still, I got to tell you, Bark, I still have some concerns about uh, the bullpen. I, I just do. Yeah, I, I just don't know how you're going to go to the World Series. No offense to the with with Trevor Richards, Adam Simber, Tim Mesa, Yimmy Garcia. Look, Yimmy Garcia is a solid bullpen arm. 
He's not a game changer. Like he's, he, if Jordan Romano goes down for a month, and we talk about George Springer in center field, if Jordan Romano goes down for a month, Yemi Garcia in the American League East is good enough to close games out and you're not going to miss a beat? I don't see it. You, you, you have faith in Tim Mesa? Like, is the sinker slider at being left-handed at 93 miles an hour going to play two years in a row? He had a tremendous year last year. Do you think he could do that again? Now, I'm not saying he can't. But if he if he had a hiccup and he wasn't as good as he was last year, would you be surprised? Adam Simber, you know, doing it from down under. Uh, I, if I Simber think- and Richard, I got, I got to tell you, Barker, S- Simber and Richards, frankly, are the least of my worries in that bullpen because they can. Uh, there's a track record with them, and I I am not worried about what either of them are going are necessarily going to give me. Uh, you know, I haven't seen enough of Jordan Romano this spring. That's p- part of the, the issue with not being down there is you don't get to see a guy throw, throw a bullpen or anything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I I fully expected that we would see another arm in that bullpen. Um, I, I kind of thought that it would be a Kenley Jansen a Kenley Jansen type arm. And maybe that maybe it's the, that's the type of thing you can get in season, right? Maybe it's the type of thing you can get. Maybe the trade deadline rolls around. Jordan Romano's healthy and things are going swimmingly and we don't need to talk about it. That is kind of the the one area that yeah. gives me a lot of concern. We've only got five minutes left. I did want to ask you, I did want to ask you about two young players. Nate Pearson, mm-hmm. what do you make of him? And Arelvis Martinez. You asked me what I've seen that really that on, on TV that has really kind of drawn my attention. Arelvis Martinez has drawn my attention. Like, I can see why everybody is high on Aralvis Martinez. Yeah, Aralvis Martinez is very athletic. That's the first thing. He's raw. Like, you can mold him into whatever you want to mold him into. You know, it. that's, I think, where he's at in his career, which is what the Blue Jays like and what every other organization, every scout that come and watch him play are like, man, look at the tools. He's got them all. We could just mold him to whatever we want him to be. Nate Pearson. And Nate Pearson looks exactly like he's always looked. That, 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 that's the point here. And every time I hear them saying he's going to start, he's going to be a hybrid, he's going to rove around in the bullpen, you really think that's going to work, Jeff? Anything that you've seen – we've had this conversation till we're, till we're blue. Anything that he's done that would tell you that he can maintain velocity, add a third pitch if he has to start, which you'll have to do – the, you know, the 95 at the big league level as a starter is not going to play for Nate Pearson. That's my point is, at least in the bullpen, he could be the hybrid guy. He can try and maintain the 98, 99 and, and occasionally hit the 100 and not sit at 95 because that makes the slider that much better. you got to cheat a little bit more. You're opening up the front side. That way, you know, your sliders, your secondary pitches don't always have to be perfect. You can get away with some bad ones. That's why they say they want the ultimate velocity out of the bullpen. But I just don't see you know why they're trying to make him all of these things what would tell you or what would tell them that he can do all of these things not me and not what i've seen but you know we we listen to john snyder maybe they know and maybe their numbers are telling you a little bit more than Mm -hmm. than what what we're seeing but i again this is this is the thing i think if there's one hiccup that the blue jays have is there's a lot of expectations going into the season now for a bullpen that I'm not sure for everybody is realistic. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see. But um, yeah, I, I I do think that there needs to be. Uh, I would just I would be happy 
with, as I said, another some swing and miss stuff out of that bullpen. And I love what I'm not going to harp on Kenley Jansen, but I, I I really liked what Ned Coletti said when he talked about the impact of a guy like Kenley Jansen. Of course, Ned knows him. Ned was GM of the Dodgers when he broke in, and and his point was. Is Kenley Jansen good enough to give you 40 or 50 saves on his own? Probably not. Is he good enough to give you 20, 25, 30 saves on his own and help someone else get 25 to 30 saves? Yeah. That, to me, summed up what I think the Jays are missing. Just that component. That guy who can do it or help someone else do it. And, and again, maybe we'll be maybe we'll be proven wrong, and and I hope so. And one thing about this organization, you know, yeah, they do have. I mean, last year they lost because they lost control of their bullpen. That's the reason they didn't make the postseason, frankly. But a lot of times they are able to cobble stuff together. So you know, maybe we need to have a little patience. Yeah, I'm with you. Quick on the draw. You know, it's a real punch in the gut. We've seen it from the Bichettes, the everyday guys, when they're blowing leads late mm-hmm. in the game. So hopefully they don't do that. Hopefully they get off to good starts. Mr. Barker, I will chat with you again manana. Thanks. Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Great day.